This evening we're going to consider sin and death in Adam, reconciliation and life in Christ. It's a contrast there. The whole passage that we're going to look at this evening is a contrast between Adam and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking at Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through to 19. I'll read those verses now. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offence, so also is the free gift. For if through the offence of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, have abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offences unto justification. For if by one man's offence death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offence of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For, as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Today we're going to be looking at a passage where the Apostle Paul elucidates doctrine that forms the very foundation stones of the Gospel of Christ. It's important that we understand this in order to get a better appreciation of what the Gospel of Christ is, what it means to us. Most professing Christians are familiar with the truth that at the cross... Their sins were imputed by God to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or at least they should be familiar with that. Or I'm not so sure at times. But for example, in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, it is written, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord have laid on him the iniquity of of us all. That's so important to understand. The Lord has laid upon Jesus your iniquity, dear Christian. And as I've said before, you did not give Jesus your sins. Your sins were laid upon him by the Lord, by God. Your sins were imputed 
by God to the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, we have seen in great, great detail in this epistle that all who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour from sin have the righteousness of God imputed to them. So their, their, their sins are imputed to Jesus at the cross. His righteousness in life and in death, a whole <coughs> life of obedience, obedience unto death of the cross, imputed to you if you are a Christian. There is, however, a third imputation that needs to be understood, and that is the imputation by God, it's all by God, the imputation by God of Adam's sin to the entire human race. We will be looking at that today. The passage starts in verse 12 with the word wherefore, or for this reason. And that tells us not to forget or disregard what Paul has just been talking about in the previous verses. Namely, that by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead, all who are trusting in him are reconciled to God. They have peace with God and they joy in God. Peace with God and joying in God. If you're trusting in Jesus. Dear Christian, that really is something to be eternally thankful for when you consider the following. After Adam did the unthinkable and he sinned in the Garden of Eden against his maker, Almighty God, he and his wife Eve tried to hide themselves from God. We saw that in the reading earlier. They were afraid and they tried to hide themselves from God. That's a ridiculous thing to try and do. It's nevertheless precisely what Adam and Eve did try to do and it's what people have been trying to do ever since. Hide from God in various ways. Everyone does it, including Christians, before they were graciously saved from their sins and sometimes even afterwards Christians try to hide from God. The usual way that people try to hide from God is by simply pretending that God does not exist. And they make idols of the things that are created, including themselves and including their sins. This passage presents a stark contrast between Adam and the Lord Jesus Christ, whom Paul describes as the last Adam in 1 Corinthians Chapter 25 and verse 45. That can't be right. Chapter 15 and verse 45. The contrast can already be seen even before you read the passage. This passage before us today. All you have to do is count the number of times Paul uses the word one in the verses. He uses that word no less than 12 times. I don't know if you noticed that when I was reading this passage in Romans chapter 5. That word one, it came up time and time again, 12 times, as Paul deals with our identification with just one man, either Adam who brought sin and death to all mankind, or else the man Christ Jesus who brought in righteousness and everlasting life to all who trust in him. Look at verse 12. 
in Romans chapter 5, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. In this verse Paul teaches that man does evil because he is evil and the root of the problem can be traced back to the entering in, as it says there, the entering in of sin into the moral world when Adam ate the forbidden fruit. That's where it all started. It's clear that the one man spoken of in verse 12 is Adam. That's given to us in verse 14. The details of his sin, his disobedience, are recorded in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, where it is written, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For on the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. I don't know what kind of um, an impact that has on you, that kind, those verses, or what I've just read there. Probably not a huge impact, because we're so used to sin. Each one of us, we've sinned so many times, we know it's wrong, but it's something we're used to. We see it all the time, around us and within us. But it really is a terrible thing, what we're reading there. This is when sin entered into the world when Adam did the unthinkable and he disobeyed a direct command of Almighty God. Note that the punishment for disobedience is death. God said, For in the the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Sure enough, Adam disobeyed that direct commandment of God And that resulted in sin and death, not only for Adam, but for all his posterity, including us. As Paul says in verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. At the end of the verse there, you see that Paul says, for that all have sinned. Whilst there is no denying that we all sin in our own right, in the things that we think and say and do, verse 12 is primarily emphasising the original sin of Adam in the Garden of Eden. And that is imputed to each one of us and the ensuing death that he brought upon mankind. And that is contrasted with the righteousness and the everlasting life that the Lord Jesus Christ has achieved for all who are trusting in him and is also explained in this passage. If you're a Christian, you can, you you hunger and you thirst after righteousness and you do righteous works, but you wouldn't even think to say that that is your your route to heaven, your righteous works. It is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ that is imputed to you. Nothing more, nothing less. 
And so it is that the sin of Adam is imputed to us and that is our death and condemnation. Without in any way excusing us or dismissing our own (coughs) sins that we readily commit all too often, this verse, verse 12, is about Adam's sin and its far-reaching consequences. I think that perhaps the destructive consequences of Adam's sin contrasted with the everlasting blessings that are received through faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ are best seen in another one of Paul's epistles. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 21 and 22 where Paul said, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For, as in Adam, all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. You see the two sides of the coin there. You see that contrast. In Adam, all die. In Christ, all shall be made alive. Where Paul said, even so in Christ, shall all be made alive, all most certainly does not mean everyone who has ever lived. And you should know that if you've studied the the Bible and you you study the, the Gospel, study so many books in the Bible, you would know that all does not mean literally everyone. Rather, it refers to all who are chosen by God for salvation and who consequently trust in Jesus as their saviour from sin. In other words, the elect of God. Let's have a look at verses 13 and 14. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. So what we've got here, with this passage is clearly a contrast between Adam and the Lord Jesus, but there's also, we're, we're, we're also being told here that Adam's a signpost to Jesus, that he's a type of Jesus. That's interesting, isn't it? We see the consequences of that original sin of Adam, generations of people born into the world as children of wrath, in rebellion against their maker and sinning against him. And this this really describes the world that we live in. Children of wrath, rebelling against Almighty God. And that's why the world is in a mess. It's as simple as that. In the period of time between Adam and Moses, there was no written law. God had not yet given the Ten Commandments to Moses and to ancient Israel. Consequently, objectors might well say, but sin is not imputed (coughs) when there is no law. You see that in verse 13. That's a possible objection to sin in the time of Adam uh, right up to um, the time right up to when the law was given uh, during the time of Moses but sin is not imputed when there is no law there was no written law 
in Adam's time or all the time leading up to Moses. However, Paul's answer to that objection is that death most certainly did reign between Adam and Moses. That's very clear. People died before the law was given to Moses. People really did die. And a big example of that is the, um, the flood. Everyone in the whole world died apart from eight people who were locked into the ark, shut into the ark by God. Therefore, since there was death, there must have been sin. And for there to be sin, there must have been law. After all, you can't sin if there is no law to break. Although the generations of people during that era did not all sin by breaking a spoken commandment from God as Adam did, and even though they did not have any written law from God, such as the Ten Commandments, they must have had something in order for them to sin and to suffer the consequence of sin, such as death. And that something is in all of us. And that something is the work of God's law, written in our hearts. It can be seen in verse 14 that the seed of sin planted in the human race by one man, Adam, sprung up and brought forth bad fruit in everyone without exception, so as to bring everyone under the curse of death and condemnation. Finally, in verse 14, it is written that Adam is the figure of him that was to come. Hopefully, you can see that Adam and Jesus are very, very different. And there is a glaring contrast to be made between, the, between them. So, how can they be said to be similar with Adam, a figure or type or pattern of Jesus? If anything, surely they're polar opposites. You can think of it like this. God imputed to all who belong to Adam, in other words, the whole of mankind, that which belonged to Adam, sin and death. Similarly, God imputed to all who belong to Jesus, that which belongs to Jesus, righteousness and everlasting life. There's your similarity. There's your comparison. Well, have a look at verses 15 through to 17. But not as the offence, so also is the free gift. For if through the offence of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ have abounded unto many and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offences unto justification. For if by one man's offence death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. 
The contrast between Adam and Jesus is highlighted with Paul showing that which is gained in Christ is infinitely greater than that which is lost in Adam. Verse 15 speaks of the many of Adam and the many of Jesus. But again, you've got to understand that that doesn't mean the same thing. The many of Adam is not the same thing as the many of the Lord Jesus Christ. The many of Adam who die are all the, the, all the descendants of Adam and that's everybody. We all descend from Adam. As has already been said in verse 12, death, death passed upon all men. But the many of Jesus does not mean everyone. Rather, the many are the elect of God, chosen before the foundation of the world for salvation. That is clearly taught in many Bible verses and I would say it's something that's undeniable if you're honest about what you're reading in the scriptures. Even so, there are those who will insist that many, the many of Jesus refers to everyone as it does for Adam. They might quote 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 4 to 6 where it is written about God who will have all men to be saved. God will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. However, unless you ignore and throw out the teaching in the Bible about Jesus laying down his life and giving himself as a ransom for all whom his Father has given him, the all in 1 Timothy chapter 2 cannot refer to everyone who has ever lived. Rather, all refers to all classes of people without discrimination, all races, males, females, slave and free, black, white, princes, paupers, Jews, Gentiles and so on. And that's what is meant by all. As such, you can read in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9 of that wonderful heavenly scene where God receives worship and adoration not from everyone but from a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. And if you're trusting in Jesus, you will be part of that great multitude worshipping God in heaven, bowing down before him and adoring him. What Paul is saying in verse 15 is that the grace of God in Christ Jesus towards those whom he has chosen for eternal life is immeasurably greater than the portion of Adam's posterity, which is death. If you're a Christian, you need to fully grasp and you need to embrace that glorious truth that you have already crossed over from death in Adam to everlasting life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that is amazing, a truly amazing thing. 
even though you will still die a physical death, if Jesus does not come first, you nevertheless already have everlasting life. As Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Verses 18 and 19. Therefore, as by the offence of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. We can see the contrast there again. It's, a, it's clear, isn't it, to all of us, uh, that contrast between Adam and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a summing up of what has already been said. By the sin and disobedience of one man, Adam, the whole world descended into sin, spiritual death, physical death and condemnation. But the obedience unto the death of the cross of the man, Christ Jesus, has resulted in a multitude that no man can number, being forgiven, saved from their sins and forever justified. As we come to a close, consider this. There are many professing Christians who are getting on the evolutionary bandwagon and they call themselves theistic evolutionists. According to them, everything came into being through evolution, which was controlled by God. That lie is being proclaimed to many gullible people in churches by false teachers some of whom are eminent preachers like Tim Keller, whose church in the city of New York has an attendance of over 5,000 people every Sunday. One of the many problems of embracing evolution, including theistic evolution, is that any acceptance of it means accepting that Adam was at best part of God's evolutionary process. If you believe that, you would also have to believe that death has already been present in the world. Death didn't just happen when Adam um, sprung from the evolutionary process. There always was death if you believe in evolution or theistic evolution, whatever evolution you want to call it. That is all a big fat lie of the devil who ultimately seeks to undermine and nullify the gospel of Christ. The clear teaching in the Bible is that by one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death by sin. And that points us to the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So be careful and don't buy into that lie of theistic evolution. Also, before Adam sinned, 
His position before God would have been one of innocence. We, we looked at this on Wednesday at the Bible study. It would have been one of innocence. However, if your identity is in Christ, who is the last Adam, your position before God is far better than being innocent before him, as was the case with Adam until such time that he sinned and he was no longer innocent before God. As a Christian, you stand before God justified and accepted in his beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, washed in his blood and clothed with his righteousness. That's got to be infinitely better than standing before God innocent until the very next indivisible moment of time when you sin. Finally, if you have not yet shown repentance towards God and you haven't trusted in Jesus, you most certainly are not innocent before God. At least Adam was innocent before God for some time. I don't know how long it would have been. He was innocent before God until such time he sinned. You can't say that about yourself. If you're not trusting in Jesus, you are guilty before God. It's as simple as that. In fact, the wrath of God abides on you and the wages of your sin is death and everlasting punishment. Therefore, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who was brought in reconciliation with God, peace with God, joy in God and you will be saved. Amen.